welcome to episode two of season two of Mum's Dad's Work. I'm Ben Falk. I'm the editor of WorkingDads.co.uk. I'm here with... Mandy Garner, uh, editor of WorkingMums.co.uk. I don't know whether I was supposed to, like, say your name or let you say it, but I let you say it. Thank you. <laughs> very kind. <laughs> so thanks very much for joining us. It's been great coming back and uh, coming back with another episode of the pod, another season of the pod. As we've kind of talked about here and, and online and on social, we slightly tweaked this, this season. We've got a lot more practical advice. So we're chatting a little bit about stuff that's affecting working parents, working mums, working dads. And we've got some good guests today as well, giving us some really practical advice. We sat down with a couple of people, didn't we, Mandy? Yes, we did. Some some flexible working experts who had job share themselves, which yeah, is great. Amazing. We'll, we'll get to them in a second. But this week it's is it International Mental Health Day or World? Men- I think it's World. It's World. World. Yes, World Mental Health Day. We've written a lot about I've, you know, male mental health, particularly seems to be a hot topic uh, for me. But you've written a lot about mental health recently too, haven't you? Yes, it was um, one of the things that came up in our annual survey. And I think it also came up last week for National Work Life Week in the Working Families Survey as well. So we were really interested not only in parents' mental health, but also the impact of children's mental health on parents' mental health. So we looked at we looked at all those kind of things and we've and I've been speaking to to mums who have been, you know, trying to manage children's mental health, particularly things like school refusal, which is really, really difficult and challenging to to manage. And I've I've had experiences experience of it myself way before COVID actually with school bullying and stuff like that um, leading to panic attacks and it's, it's just really really hard to force or you feel like you're forcing your child into school when they're literally shaking. It's a, it's a bizarre thing isn't it because like the people that get annoyed with wokery or whatever you want to call it or, or kind of say that we're talking too much about sort of touchy-feely mental health things but it's um, but it's amazing we talk about it loads and yet we it's still so prevalent like it seems like we're making headway but I don't know I, it's it, it, it seems to be tiny 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 increments from a yeah from a dad's perspective I think me and my friends are quite open but probably we're in the minority I don't know Yes, I think there's still quite a bit of stigma about it. But also, I think that there's so many different pressures on people. And it's been spoken about a lot during COVID and in the post-COVID thing. There was a report out on school refusal, for example, very recently. And I think that it is being spoken about a lot, but there's just not the resources there at all by any, if any, if anybody's been sort of, particularly as a parent, trying to get children sort of support, it's, it's, it's so, it takes so long, the CAMS waiting list is enormous, and it's just really, really hard, and the school postcode lottery, I think, isn't it really, like, some, some places better than others, and it really depends on where you are in the country as well. Yes, it does. But also, I mean, there's 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 obviously lots of things that have come about as a result of all that as of COVID, but also that COVID has accentuated. And there's been all the kind of you know change, which you know some people don't cope with. You know, it find it more difficult to cope with than others. Um, and all anxiety and bereavement and all the other things that we've been dealing with, which we haven't even had a sort of breath to stop and actually sort of take take stock of what we've all been through, really. Then workload, you know, work pressures and all of that kind of thing, which tends to sometimes get a little bit overlooked in the talk or the talk about mental health at work. There's a lot on sometimes on um, different types of mental health problems and all that kind of stuff, but they're kind of not related to work and 
workload and intensity of work so there's all of those kind of things but for younger people I just think there's just there's you know the mental health figures were going you know they were going they were bad before yeah. COVID, way before COVID. And there's just a lot of different pressures on young people, I think. And, uh, you know, just dealing with teenagers. It's a, a roller coaster. It really <laughs> is. It really I, is. I, I, remember, I remember chatting about five years ago to, I, I, I was kind of, um, my daughters were significantly younger then. And and I, I was like, right, is there a way to kind of make sure that things are okay? And, and I spoke to this brilliant child psychologist psychiatrist actually who did loads of stuff with like with the court you know he does really quite intensive things with kids and and his advice I said like how how do I just how do I protect them how to protect them and his advice actually was very simple which was take care of yourself and Mm. and it was obviously that's a straightforward way of a very simplified way of saying it but it really is that put on the life jacket yourself first and then if you've done that then your children's life jacket will be a lot easier to to deal with but I I'm quite bad at taking advice like uh, remembering mm. advice but I genuinely have like maintained that one the entire time make sure that I'm okay if I'm okay then they'll probably be okay obviously yeah. incredibly simplified but that that's like I that's my always been his I can hear this guy's voice ringing in my head like five or six years later and it's it's something I, I it's one of those pieces of advice I've always tried to stick to yeah, I think that's a really good piece of advice. I mean, I remember speaking to a mum who her daughter was in a psychiatric unit. It was very serious. I mean, when people talk about wokery and mental health, you think some of these <laughs> things are incredibly serious. Things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She tried to commit suicide several times. She was knocking her head against the walls and stuff like that. And the mum was working. And luckily, her I think her employer was fairly flexible. But she was going every night to the unit. And it, it she, the, she was chained from unit to unit. So it could be right. quite far from her home and everything and she there were kind of support groups parent support groups at different units and stuff but she just didn't simply didn't have the time you know because she wanted to spend the time that she had with her daughter because she was absolutely frantically worried about her daughter and I think that's quite difficult to somehow and sometimes there's sort of guilt factors and things involved and you're thinking you're is it my fault and all that kind of stuff so you don't feel that you can it's very complicated but it it, it is important to to look after yourself as well because you are the main person it's always terrifying as a parent isn't it when you kind of go oh god wish they could be the best parts of me rather than the worst parts (laughs) of me yeah (laughs) yeah you know any self-worth person knows all their faults and then or at least some of their faults and then you kind of go just please can you somehow eradicate those bits from them? And then when you see it, you know, inevitably they take on some of your worst traits, which is which is always depressing. So yeah. But anyway, it's World Mental Health Day this week. And I, I put, you know, I, I would say, you know, really take stock of it. It's not, it's not just a, a it is just a day, but it's like this is a thing that it's it's really important. Think about it, do research and and take care of yourself, you know. Yes, absolutely. And part of that in terms of the workplace, I think, is obviously flexible working, which brings us on to our guests. We've got with us today, we've got Tabitha Cunningham and Charlotte Farrell from Paris Smith Solicitors. They're um, on our panel of um, employment law experts um, who you can send email questions into um, and they will answer. Charlotte and Tabitha do a job share at Paris Smith and they're going to talk about all things flexible working. (laughs) 
Welcome to the Mums Dads Work podcast, Charlotte and Tabitha. It's really good to have you here. So what I wanted to ask you first is you're a job share partnership within a law firm. So I wanted to ask you how that came about and a little bit about what the benefits are to working in that way. So Tabitha, I don't know if you want to go first. Yeah, I mean, Charlotte and I were really lucky that we had our first children at the same time and both being employment lawyers, I think we immediately jumped to the idea of a job share because we saw that it could work for us. So we took our time setting it up initially to make sure that it works. So what we do is we work three days a week each. So we have a crossover day on a Wednesday when we're both in the office and we've set up a shared email address and, and have shared phone numbers. So we literally share everything between us. I think the main benefit for us is that we genuinely get to have our two days out of the office, which is obviously the most difficult thing of, of working part time, I think, is often you end up doing a full time role and being paid part time because you're called upon. And um, so we always know that the other one's there. And that's fantastic. And, and it, it works really well for us. Yes. And Charlotte, Every year we look at the sort of numbers on job share on our annual survey and they don't seem to go up very much. What do you think is, you know, behind that? What, why do you think employers are reluctant? Um, so I don't think it's that, that employers are necessarily reluctant or that job shares themselves don't work. I think the problem can be finding the right opportunity to job share and the right person to job share with. You know, as Tobias said, we'd worked together before we started job sharing. We'd both done the role before we started job sharing and it was something that we were familiar with and that made it a lot easier for us I think that if someone's moving to a job share in a role that they've not done before or with someone they've not worked with before that can be much more challenging I think it, it's really worth doing it's just making sure that you've got the building blocks in place to make sure it works and thought through how it's going to work before that that job share starts so that it can be a success from the start and people can work in, in that way really well um, because it can bring huge benefits and, and not just in law but in lots of other areas as well. I just wonder whether you have ever struggled with it. Are there, you know, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to kind of criticise it, but are there, what, what kind of, for, I suppose some of the things that people might be going is like, I like the idea of a job share, but I'm worried about some of the, the problems with it. What, what are the things that you have found are tricky sometimes and how have you kind of got over that, Charlotte? I think for us, it's communication is key. And I'm sure that's the same for all job shares. I mean, we are very lucky. We are very similar people outside of work and inside of work. You know, kind of the conversations we have with our children seem to be spookily the similar, you know, from one week to the next. So I think for us, we've been very lucky there. Communication and making sure that you update each other on what you've done. So if you are sharing tasks, making sure that you've got a clear kind of way of making sure everybody knows who's done what and when you've done it so things don't slip through the net is really important and just being open and honest as well and having those conversations you know if you don't agree with what someone's done finding a way to be able to share that and kind of move forward or if it's causing you a problem but I think it's like with it's with everything it comes down to to communication and being prepared to kind of work through those those challenges together as well not kind of blaming each other kind of having each other's back as well and and kind of being there to support each other yeah no, that's often, really important I think often it's about communicating with the people that you work with as well I think now where we work everyone knows how we work all of our clients know how we work and they're very open to that and and people you know say all the time that, that they think it's fantastic I think at first it was just communicating to others how we were working and making sure that they understood that they could go to both of us that it wasn't just waiting for for one of us to be back in and, and how we wanted to communicate with other people as well so I think that can be a challenge at, at first um, but again once you've got it set up it, it becomes second nature to colleagues and, and clients or customers as well. 
Yeah, that's certainly, I've done a few job shares in my time and certainly the communication thing. I just remember the first one I did, we didn't have any handover crossover day at all. And we were quite, we did quite separate, you know, we had separate sort of skills, which can be a bonus with a job share, but I just don't think the communication was the best. It was, it was a long time ago and it was before <laughs> there was any sort of, you know, best practice or anything on job shares. So, yeah. And in, in terms of sort of flexible working generally, flexible working rights and things, I just wondered if you could, Charlotte, sort of outline some of what the current legislation is on flexible working. Yeah, of course. So currently, once you've been employed somewhere for approximately six months, you have the right to make a statutory flexible working request. So that's kind of the legal request. Although technically anyone can, can ask their employer at any time to work flexibly. It's just that the employer doesn't have to respond kind of in quite such a structured way to those types of requests. Employees can make one request every 12 months under the statutory scheme and there's quite specific information they have to give so you have to submit it in writing you have to explain what the changes you're looking for and also explain how any kind of hiccups could be addressed if it's going to cause a problem for the business or you think there could be a, a consequence for the business you need to explain kind of what that could be and how that could be dealt with as well as part of the request and then the employer at the moment has three months to go through a process to kind of decide whether or not they're going to agree to the request and to, to respond to it um, and at the moment businesses can only with use a request based on eight business grounds um, and they are very specific um, but but normally most businesses are able to to find one that does fit if they, they do want to refuse the request, unfortunately, um, although there is quite a lot of scope for employees to, to show that actually they can kind of get over those hurdles in their request. Tabitha, I was I was kind of interested. Obviously, we've got mums and dads kind of represented in, in this podcast. What's your sense of, I'm not going to pit them against each other, but like how many <laughs> women or mothers uh, and, and how many fathers are kind of trying to take on, you know, we know that flexible working has changed and evolved uh, do you see a, a gender split here? Do you see a, a kind of parental difference in, in who's taking more flexible working and kind of organising flexible working? Yeah, I mean, I would say there's there's still an imbalance in that statistically more women than men request flexible working. And the most common time that people make requests is following a return from maternity leave. I think what we have seen, particularly post-COVID, is more perhaps informal flexible working or um, minor changes to hours being submitted by men so for example perhaps condensing hours so they, they get an afternoon off or perhaps working earlier to do a, a school pickup later and um, so I think definitely those kind of requests to perhaps adjust hours have increased from males but generally when we're looking at the more formal requests to say what well, I want to reduce my hours to four days a week or, or to do something like that statistically it still tends to be more more women hopefully it, it will continue to change and it used to be that flexible working requests were more specific and you had to be making them for specified reasons and for the last couple of years it, it has been anyone that can can make them um, for any reason so it doesn't have to be childcare related you know it could be that you want to go and coach a football team in in the afternoon on, on one day so, so that's been a positive move forward but I, I think we still need more time to, to get more equality there and do so on that on that sort of you don't because I think people sometimes think that they have to make their case not necessarily the business case but more sort of say why they need the flexible working but they don't actually have to specify that it's for childcare reasons or anything like that do they they don't and the flexible working regime is is just designed to be you know for any reason 
I think if you are making a flexible working request that's connected to childcare or, or other caring responsibilities, it is important to explain that because what it gives you is additional rights in terms of discrimination protection. Um, so the, the rights to enforce the flexible working request kind of rules themselves are, are relatively limited. And so if it is connected to childcare and we can then demonstrate that it, it perhaps amounts to discrimination if that's refused, that, that kind of strengthens your options. Um, so it's always a good idea, but it, it's certainly not required. I mean, are you seeing, we, we talk when we write about stuff and we're writing a lot about how companies have to sort of listen to their workers and, and sort of think about introducing flexibility in a much broader way, in a much more transparent way. Are, are you seeing people kind of leaving jobs and stuff because there is this there is a perceived lack of flexibility or in, I suppose engaging your services yeah I mean I don't think we're necessarily seeing a lot more people leaving without having those conversations with their employers I think most people are are having those conversations but I think there is a lot more frustration amongst them employees now when when employers aren't willing to have those conversations in terms of it being much more talked about now and much more available across costs employers and, and across other roles as well yeah I think ultimately someone you know, will leave if, if they're not able to get the, the hours that they need particularly if there's a reason they're asking for, for flexible working but I don't think there's necessarily been a big increase in that kind of recently I think that that's always been there but it, it hasn't been as talked about as much as, as it's now being done yeah and how is the law changing we know that there's new legislation it's been flagged a lot in the newspapers and I think sometimes people think once it's being flagged that it's happening immediately but it's not happening immediately but what will those changes that are coming what will they mean yeah so the the first change is that they're going to make flexible working a day one right which is what most of the headlines have been about so at the minute you have to wait till you've been employed by the company for six months before you can formally make a request and that's going to happen from the first day that you walk into the door and so that gives people the advantage that it, it kind of brings those conversations forward to the initial employment stage, which will hopefully mean that people are more open to having these discussions when when you're being recruited, as opposed to once you're already in post. They're also increasing the limits on the request. So at the moment, you can only make one formal request every 12 months, and it's going to be two. And they're also going to reduce the time frame um, to consider a request. So at the minute, your employer has three months to go through the post of a request. So that's going to be reduced to two months. There's also going to be some kind of tweaks to the consultation process. So the ACAS guidance surrounding flexible working requests in particular is going to be changed. And there's going to be more emphasis on consulting with employees before reaching a decision, as opposed to just kind of jumping through hoops and having a meeting with them. There's also in the guidance going to be a change to kind of put more of a presumption on employers to start from the, the basis that they should be accepting rather than refusing requests. And there's also going to be a requirement under the guidance so that if an employer is looking to reject requests, they should also proactively consider alternatives before they do that, which at the moment lots of employers will do and will say, well, look, we can't agree to you working you know, three days a week, but we could agree to you working for. Um, but it's kind of putting that emphasis on on having those those conversations and being more collaborative about it. That's interesting. I, I, Charlotte, I wonder whether, uh, put you on the spot, whether there's, uh, I don't know, talk on the legal grapevine about that, you know, that there is sort of, further change coming down the pipe or you know this is a this is a thing which changes seems to change both logistically and sort of policy wise and legally quite slowly I mean is there a sense that we're on a kind of 
train to a total change or is it going to be these kind of incremental things every three five ten years I don't know whether you kind of talk about that in in the practice yeah I mean the government any government likes to play with employment law it's the topic of of law that gets changed the most it it gets the headlines people are interested in it and it affects people on a day-to-day business basis as well so we're, we're quite used to seeing kind of regular changes to the law I don't think there's necessarily going to be a complete kind of change through everything in the near future obviously that this isn't yet in force although it should be seen and I think it is an area that is likely to be to be played with and tweaked again in the future you know once businesses have got their their heads around the new changes and employees have started to use it and I think some employers are already taking that wider approach anyway yeah and some employers are already taking the approach of well actually all roles can be worked relatively flexibly you know we've seen a lot more home working than we ever did before COVID. So I think some employees are already kind of voluntarily going down that route. Um, so it'd be interesting to see what happens next. Yes, it is interesting to see what happens next because at the same time that obviously COVID has brought quite a lot of change and sort of movement forward, particularly with hybrid and, and remote working, we're also seeing a bit of a backlash with employers sort of, you know, now sort of specifying you have to be in the office this amount of days and that seems to be creeping up the amount of days that they're expecting people to be back in the office seems to be creeping up Tobitha, is there anything that people can actually do if they for example I know people that have moved you know house to you know further away because they thought they would be working more remotely or in a more hybrid way and then they're being asked now to come back to the office three or four days a week what legal rights do they have in that sort of situation yeah as you say it's something we're seeing more and more now because I think a lot of employers made quite informal changes to their policy arrangements due to COVID obviously we were all forced into it straight away so employers are in a position where they've they've agreed to lots of things you know on a temporary basis and and that's fallen into the longer term I think if you're in a situation where you were relying on a kind of company-wide policy that's just been quite flexible and has meant that people can work from home and now that's being rowed back on and it it particularly affects you because of your personal arrangements and again particularly if they're related to childcare or or other caring responsibilities I think the thing to do would be to raise that with your employer um, and ultimately you can then make a formal flexible working request against the changes to say look I understand that this is being changed to x for me that doesn't work um, for these reasons so can I formally make a flexible working to alter it because whilst the company can say well the general policy is now this and you've still got that right to request changes to that policy I think the other thing if you're in that situation is to look back on the communications from your employer as time has gone back to see whether they were put forward as as just temporary or, or whether they're were nuggets in there that that you relied on as as being more permanent changes because if you have an argument to say well your your contract has permanently been varied so that you are a home worker and that throws in kind of breach of contract and and other legal arguments as well so I would say probably a two-pronged approach of, of making it clear what you need personally having a look to see what you what can you what can you rely on it in what was promised to you in the past. Fascinating. I, Charlotte, just to follow up from what Tabitha was saying there, just on that note, if people uh, are saying or if works are saying, you know, which I've seen anecdotally, like you have to be in on a Wednesday because we're going to get everybody in on a Wednesday. If they're specifying a day, is that OK? Is like, you know, or is that kind of is that fold into what Tabitha is saying? If you're saying, well, actually, to Wednesday, 
just hypothetically Wednesday is the day when I do have to have my child at home or whatever it might be is is that a, does that make any difference yeah so it, it does fold into what you're about to say it's kind of part of the discussion that you'd need to have with your your employer and I think it, it does make a difference in terms of the reason for you making the request so if you're making the request to work flexibly work from home or leave earlier because of a, a childcare commitment in particular you know, that's going to hold more weight in terms of of the request that you're making but also I think proactively being able to come up with alternative solutions so if your employer is saying to you you know we want to have an org teams meeting and we've decided we're going to do that on a Wednesday then having a conversation with them to say well could it be a Tuesday or you know is there a reason for it being a Wednesday or is it just that the business have gone well it's the middle of the week yeah that's the best day for us sort of approach so yeah I think it's a kind of a two-pronged approach and also as an individual sometimes it's possible to have flexibility as well so you know for example you might normally work certain days in a week and you want to work those regularly moving forward but you're prepared to you know, on an ad hoc basis attend something you know on your non-working days if it's needed not as a regular occurrence but as a one-off in an absolute emergency and that's something that you can kind of feed in as an employee to any request as well to say look you know if needed, I'd be prepared to do something that absolutely had to be and I could get childcare, for example. It just kind of sometimes can help push applications in your favour. Great. Fantastic. It's all about the communication, the negotiation and all of that kind of thing. Well, I, it's <laughs> certainly a really interesting time to be in, in employment rights and, and certainly on, in terms of flexible working. So thank you both so much for, for taking part in Mum's Dad's Work podcast. And I hope that you know that that's been really informative for for our listeners thank you both thank you for having us thank you for having us So some great advice there from Charlotte and Tabitha on, on flexible working. So we wanted to talk now, have a little bit more of a kind of a more relaxed session on books, books about working parents, which there are many, many uh, at the moment. And we've certainly been doing at Working Mums. We did a whole big summer book club and had reviews of books probably every week, I think, over the summer. But we it's something we're doing on an ongoing basis. And I know that, Ben, you've been doing some book reviews. Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting, actually. Like, I... I Obviously, I read the summer book series and there's loads. And every week I'm seeing another a book, Matrescence, or I think that's how you say it, yes. various other things. Uh, you know, and then I, and so as a result, I kind of looked in the library and looked on the bookshelves and looked on the, the site that should not be named. And it was like really nothing for dads at all. It was kind of surprising. You know, there were, I think, more practical kind of things, like sort of almost like, you know, what to do when you're expecting type books. But yeah. Less, uh, but fewer books about about actually kind of being a dad. Um, one of the ones that I just read, I then saw it on the magnificent libraries, love local libraries, was Normal Schmormal by I think it's Ashley Blaker, and him and his wife have six children, several of whom have learning differences and are sends children, special educational needs children, and it's kind of dealing with that and like being being a father to to that, and it's it was. It's it's pretty hardcore read. Like it, you know, he's he's a comedian, so you know he he's funny. But it's it's interesting. We, we were talking before we spoke to Charlotte and Tabitha about not having any time and taking care of yourself. And I think reading that book, the normal schmormal book, is you really get a sense of that. Like so much time is taken up with the kind of day to day, the kind of logistics of of children, and that's definitely what you get with with him. I mean, his book is more. As I say, it's a kind of slightly comedic book. I don't think it's as funny as he thinks in the sense that I, I don't mean that in a, a criticism of his comedy. What I mean is that in terms of it's it comes across as like 
he makes light of something that's probably quite you know quite a challenge yeah. but which is probably um, his way of dealing with it oh absolutely know, and, and yeah, life yeah, generally yeah. <laughs> and, you know, he's clearly a magnificent father and and his wife a magnificent mother but it but you know it's it it really kind of showed the kind of level of intensity of like being a parent to six children full stop yes. <laughs> you know, that, that was more kind of I was like mate six kids that's crazy yeah <laughs> I guess it's funny it's funny because I'm actually I'm writing it's not it's not a proper you know not a book for sale or anything like that but I'm putting together the blogs that I've done over the years for working mums which I've done right. lots of family sort of related blogs and what I thought were kind of light-hearted fun <laughs> things I'm reading through them I'm thinking god I must be exhausted yeah. <laughs> uh, because when you write down you know the daily sort of things that you're dealing with it's like norovirus I mean knits norovirus they seem to come around all the time you know yeah, any time that there was any break well obviously chickenpox doesn't come around more than once well it comes multiple times if you've got several you know several children it seems to be one after the other obviously but yeah god knits is the bane of our life yeah but the yeah, the books that we've you know uh done over there i i agree that there's not enough about uh, for dads definitely and by dads about dads but the, yeah you mentioned matrescence which is one that we looked at lucy jones's book which is about sort of hormonal changes and all the different shades of changes of body and mind after having a baby which there's something in there was something in the news about last week which is really interesting and i think you've done something on dad's brains changing and after birth we also have done Lucy Ryan's book Revolting Women which is great which is all about middle age women in middle age which is a kind of very feisty sort of look at everything that women are facing in middle age not just menopause I mean there's been a lot about menopause but there's so many other things going on and then Mother Tongue by Jenny Nussel which is amazing book I mean it's absolutely packed it's a it's an it's academic it's it's by an academic and it's about the words that are used to describe different you know women's lives but it's really about women's and it's also about women's history the day-to-day the everyday but every chapter is absolutely crammed full of such interesting stuff taken from literature and stuff like that and it's not written in an academic way but there's just so much it was one of those books that you could just read again and again and again it just tells you stuff that you just like wow I didn't know you know what it was like being a woman back in the you know back in the day (laughs) yeah it's amazing it's difficult I think to like balance between being sort of academic and being kind of list listy about like these are the things that we do and these that and actually something that absorbs you into into the into the story and into the kind of narrative of their life there was a book I'm I'm doing a thing at the moment on it's, it came out initially last year and is due to come out and paperback uh, early next year uh, by Sophie Gallagher called How Men Can Help which is more to do less about like you know fatherhood and everything and more to do with being a better ally to women and 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 that kind of thing and, and I think it's really hard sometimes with those non-fiction books to kind of pull people in make people absorb that information without seeming like you're kind of being preachy and and mm. or that you're just reading a textbook I think you know Sophie does a good job I call her Sophie like I know her I don't yes. <laughs> yeah um, but so- Sophie Gallagher does a good good job of that I think but and, and by the way I would say that anyone's listening to this if you do have books new books not not I don't I don't really want ones from like the 90s new new books about fatherhood or or being a dad or being a you know working father then please do get in contact on social or 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 on but via the website because I'd love to to find more yes yes there's a lot on on motherhood definitely and the the thing about the Jenny Nuttall one is is it's not just about 
history it's about the evolution of words that are used about women and so that's really fascinating because it's like the words that we use now where did they come from why what are the connotations that they grew up with it's just there's just so much it's really really rich but yeah I wish there were more similar ones I'm assuming it's, <laughs> I'm assuming it's about the page it all comes from the patriarchy and it's bad <laughs> <laughs> not not it's not it's not as it's much oh, more it's interesting okay. than I, I, you I might think that, I don't mean that and it's a negative one yeah. I, mean, I just mean obviously men have decided those kind of you know always decided that to language you know being in charge of that language so I'm just kind of intrigued by that yeah, no, no, it's much more, it's like, yeah, it's definitely worth reading. There's, it's like one of those books that kind of opens up your mind. It's like, yeah, it's it's, it's a good one. Excellent. About- well, look, we're going to, as Mandy said, we're going to carry on kind of doing this, the summer book series. It's going to become the all-round autumn year book series. So we're <laughs> going to consistently do reviews and things like that. So if there are any books that you want us to, to feature on the site, then please do get in contact. But that's pretty much us, us done for this week, Mandy. Yes, yes, lovely. Um, we're <laughs> back in a couple of weeks' time with Liz Seabag Montefiore talking about career progression. She's going to be our expert, loads of amazing advice, and we'll be chatting about all the kind of news in for working mums and dads and and whatever else is going on. And it'll almost be half term. Can you believe oh it already? Goodness. Okay. Right, well, <laughs> that's probably what we'll be chatting about then. What the hell are we going to do in half term? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Awesome. Well, thanks very much, Randy. Thank you, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.